Welcome, everybody, to episode three of the Enhancement Talent Podcast. I'm your host, the man in the rafters, the one they call Tony Lopez, the man they call Tony Lopez. Um, on the line with me, uh, my co-host, half of the fabulous Lopez cousins, I have Dr. Bob Lopez. How you doing, Bob? Doing well. Good evening, sir. How are you? Doing fine. Doing fine. Are you ready for our trek into the land of extreme? I'm super excited. I'm actually hanging out in the rafters with you, close to the uh, basketball hoop next to New Jack, actually. <laughs> nice. <laughs> well, we didn't want to make our trek into the land of extreme by ourselves. Today, we have a special guest joining us from beautiful Island Lake, Illinois. We have the Warsaw Blonde himself, Mr. Adam Kalavik. How you doing, Adam? Great. How you guys doing? Good, good. Welcome, doing, sir. Doing well, doing well. Are you ready to go extreme, Adam? I am ready. I have my ECW uh, shirt on uh, that I purchased in Wisconsin Dells in the late 90s. Nice. nice. That's how ready I am. <laughs> this is extreme. We're, we're not so talking that, about the band, right? No, no, not the band. <laughs> not Gary Shapiro. <laughs> I got to do my little read to my list then. <laughs> my top 20 members of, uh, of extreme. Exactly. No, no, we're going to go <laughs> into our, into our top 20 singles talent of extreme championship wrestling. That's what we're doing today. Just like our lists with WWE slash WWF and WCW, each of us are going to give our top 20 wrestlers for ecw um well how we usually start off each episode is that we each have five honorable mentions five guys that we really wanted to include on our lists but somehow just couldn't find a way to get them on there because there was just too much talent that you know got in the way and i had a really hard time i don't know about you guys but i had a really hard time with my honorable mentions for ecw Agree, agree. It was it was hard. I, I think we, we do one to twenty. And again, I'm glad you mentioned singles wrestlers because there might be some people that give us crap about our list. But again, it's singles wrestlers. But a lot of my my top twenty were people I put in. But my honorable mentions to me were could have been twenty A, twenty B, twenty C. It was it was that tough. Yeah, exactly. And um, yeah, again, like we're we we are emphasizing singles wrestlers because. Our next show, we'll have to do with tag teams. But this is th- these are singles competitors that we're talking about. Adam, did you have any any troubles with uh, your honorable mentions? Yes, uh, actually, before I jumped on, I I cut my uh, number twenty six. So, oh yes, your number twenty six, huh? Yeah, yeah. I, I knew I knew you said five. I had six. I went back and forth for on and off, and uh, so. Um, I had the, somebody had to go. So, but uh, yeah, it was, it was just about two hours ago. Yeah. Well, it's okay. I mean, I'll mention one guy that I, I'm, I'm going to hop into my, my honorable mentions right now, but I'm going to mention one guy that I really wanted to put on my honorable mentions, but I just could not find any room for him. And that was Nova <laughs> really wanted to put Nova in my honorable mentions, but just everybody that I had, 
I I couldn't find a spot for him on the list. So talking about number a uh, number twenty six, Nova was my number twenty six. Okay, but going into my actual honorable mentions, here here we go. Here are my five honorable mentions. I have as a singles competitor, Bubba Ray Dudley, Mikey Whipwreck, Steve Carino, Spike Dudley and Stevie Richards. Those are my honorable mentions. And I know a lot of those guys were really big names in ECW. You know, Mikey Whipwreck was a homegrown, as homegrown of a talent as you could get in ECW. Um, really contributed, especially to the early part of their success. Steve Carino was a champion in ECW. You know, everybody knows a little Spike, you know. S- Stevie Richards, part of the Blue, Blue World Order, um, really big in it was an integral part of ECW in their early days. And I put Bubba Ray Dudley as a singles competitor because towards, towards the end of his run in ECW, who did have some single success. I remember him actually wrestling Taz for the ECW championship on a couple of occasions. Um, but he didn't have enough single success for me to put him in my top 20. So that's why he's in my honorable mentions. I agree with a lot of those. I, I really do. And and again, like I, I mentioned, emphasizing singles wrestlers because the Dudleys are not on mine, uh, Bubba Ray or Devon. And that was super tough for me because when you think of ECW, you think of the Dudley boys. Um, they're just that integral part of the company. But when it came to singles, I couldn't do it. So for myself, my honorable mentions, even though you had to hate on my boy, I was a giant Nova fan. Um, huge yeah, Nova. Uh, little Spike Dudley did make it on my list because he was a little bit more of a singles competitor to me than uh, Bubba Ray and Devon. Uh, Al Snow, super crazy, yeah. and Steve Carino uh, round out my honorable mentions. I was a huge fan of Nova. Nova to me was obviously a part of the, the BWO as well, but he, to me he originated so many moves that you had never seen before. And it was just like so much fun to watch him. And I was just a big fan of him. I feel like he was the ECW was a perfect home for him. Cause he was never used properly anywhere else where he went. Little spike Dudley was that, that giant killer, the, that they would throw out there. And he, he gave it 100% every single time, even though you knew most of the time he was going to get crushed. Um, I always remember him getting tossed into the fans and they, they body surf him everywhere. But little Spike Dudley was always fun to watch for me. Um, Al Snow was another one. Um, he, Leaf Cassidy, Avatar, all the fun stuff that he did in other companies. When he came to ECW, he created his Al Snow gimmick with the head gimmick. And, and that's where it took off and it was perfect for him. And he, he found later success in the WWE with it. But ECW made Al Snow. Um, Super crazy to me was so much fun to watch. I think sometimes you had all these huge giant um, performers that would always be the main eventers, but you put on a super crazy Tajiri match anytime, and that's going to steal the show most of the time, and that's how amazing super crazy was. And then Steve Carino was was fun for me because he wasn't that typical ECW guy. He was more the, the king of old school, if you remember. And that's what ECW was before it became ECW. It was kind of, it was NWA faction. And that's what Steve Carino kind of brought it full circle, bringing back to that. And that's why I was a big fan of Steve Carino. Nice. Yeah, the Eastern Championship Wrestling days. 
but yeah, I, I was a big fan of Steve Carino too, especially like towards the end when he was getting he he was the ECW champ, I think, wasn't he? I, I was at the show when he won it. Yeah, he he won it in a yeah. four-way dance. Nice. Yeah, and, and I remember uh, I forgot the name of the event, Tony, but we went to an event in Milwaukee, and didn't he fight Dusty in a in a match? Yes, he did. He did. It was, a it, was it was an old school. Yeah, it was an old school battle between Carino and Dusty. That was at the Eagles Ballroom up in Milwaukee. Yeah, was, I, I, that was cool to I, see. I don't was was that a pay per view? It was a pay per view, and and the uh, the power went out for a short time too. They had to use the spotlight during one match. I remember that. That's right. That's, That's right. That's that was you know what that was that was Lance Storm's last show before he jumped to WCW. Yep. I remember that. Yep. That's what I remember that the most distinctly. And Tommy Dreamer giving me a high five. That's right through the crowd. <laughs> That's right. I've had to wash my hands a lot lately, but I tried. I tried not to wash it too much after that happened. <laughs> All right, Adam. How about your honorable mentions there? Uh, some of them. Uh, some of mine match uh, your guys. Um, I will say, Al Snow was my number twenty-six. The only oh, okay. reason. The only reason he didn't make it was because uh, you know I put a lot of stock in championships on my list. So he just missed, but he's a great example of what ECW is all about. Taking guys who either never got a chance from the other big two promotions or, or did do a runner in the big promotions, but didn't nothing or were kind of laughing stocks. And Paul Heyman was able to, and the wrestlers together were able to cultivate characters that people cared about and got behind. So it was real tough to leave him off the list, but and not much gold. So uh, my honorable mentions are Spike Dudley, Stevie Richards, Little Guido, uh, one member of the Triple Threat, Chris Candido. And as much as I wanted to put him in my top 20, he just missed because he was largely a tag team wrestler himself, and then he became a single later on, and that would be New Jack. So... Oh, New Jack's in uh, your honorable mentions. He's wow. in my honorable mentions. So, uh, wow. Spike Dudley, it was very tough for me. But again, I kind of looked at his at his history, and, and a lot of his biggest success was as a member of the Gangsters with Mufasa, Mufasa, <laughs> Mustafa. Say <laughs> 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 again. <laughs> Too many kids running around my house, so that, it was it was difficult to leave New Jack See? off because I was a huge fan of his, but. But yeah, See, when he said, when he said he had more success as a as a tag team wrestler, I thought you were going to put down P- Pitbull number two. Oh no! Uh, well, I don't know. He he might be on the top twenty. You have to you have to wait and see. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I might be spoiling it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so so Spike, you know, we we kind of talked about already. Very over with the crowd. Um, so. I mean, he was one of the most over guys they had. And then the first time I ever saw ECW on television, I literally flipped it to whatever channel it was on when Bam Bam Bigelow threw him into the audience. I'm like, wow, yeah. this is cool. So yeah, with that, the, that the got me to, like Bob said. Yeah, yeah exactly. So uh, Stevie Richards, we talked about also had a big role in Raven's Nest. And, and he was he started the Blue World Order. And then he also was in the barely legal main event. So yep. little Guido again, largely a tag wrestler, but you guys were talking about the Tajiri and super crazy matches. Uh, Guido would do three-way matches with them. And, and those were always yeah, great. 
So that's he got on my list for that. Uh, Candido, again, kind of a shorter run, didn't win a lot of championships, but he was in a high-profile group with Shane Douglas and Bam Bam Bigelow. And another reason why I put him on was I loved what he called himself, no gimmicks needed, because that spoke very loudly of what ECW stood for. It was all about, it was much more about ability and much less about the character. It was just, if you could wrestle and if you could work, you got over. So, and again, that's an example of someone who was a tremendous laughing stock in WWF and, and turned himself into a serious wrestler. And then New Jack, again, is as much as it, it pains me to put him in the honorable mentions list. Again, he's largely a tag team wrestler, but I mean, he was ECW's kind of, I, I don't want to compare the two really, but he's an attraction like Andre the Giant kind of in the sense that he, a big part of the show is just waiting for him to come out with that trash can full of full of weapons. And yeah. sometimes you get weapons from the crowd and, and then th- that would just get everybody in such a great mood. And that, that song that played, the Natural Born Killer song, they let that song play like two or three times throughout while he was just kicking everybody's <laughs> ass. Yeah. And my personal Never. favorite New Jack weapon was the computer keyboard. I still have a very clear vision of him just clacking on the keyboard and smashing someone on the head with it. So, so nice. he was always, always a great uh, talent, always a great attraction. Again, it was very difficult, but uh, he, he's my number 21. All right. Well, those are our honorable mention. I think, did we all have Spike Dudley in our honorable mentions? Yes. Yeah. yeah, all three, and with Stevie Richards too, right? Bob, yep. did you have Stevie Richards? No. Oh, you did. No. Okay. So all three of us had Spike Dudley in our honorable mentions. That's that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Well, now we will go into our top twenty pri- proper. Um, I'll begin. We're going to go through our twenty through sixteen here. Um, my twenty through sixteen are as follows. I have at number twenty Balls Mahoney. At number 19, Too Cold Scorpio. At number 18, Super Crazy. At number 17, Little Guido. And at number 16, Bam Bam Bigelow. So, yeah. Uh, number two, you know, we'll start off with Balls Mahoney. Balls Mahoney, you know, he he was kind of the the textbook of the ECW wrestler that, you know, the mainstream fan would kind of think an ECW wrestler would be, you know, just kind of a big out of shape bruiser who just used weapons and brutalized people. But Balls Mahoney, I thought was a little bit underrated as a performer. Um, he, he was able to have great, some pretty decent matches. I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't going to give you like five-star classics, but he was able to give you uh decent, mid-card matches for what he was able to do and i think he he kind of he kind of um epitomized you know not just the attitude of ecw but the look of ecw even though ecw was much more than just guys hitting each other over the head with tables and, and shit like that um but if you did want something like that balls mahoney was able to provide it for you and i think he did a really good job Number 19, mm-hmm. Too Cold Scorpio. You know, people, you know, if you're a WWE fan strictly, you'll know him as Flash Funk. But <laughs> everybody else who knows wrestling would know him as Too Cold Scorpio, the guy who, the guy who um, 
did did he invent the 450 splash or did he just like popularize it i think he popularized it at the time yeah because it, it was, it, or i think hayabusa maybe was the one who invented it maybe but um but to, to, for a guy too cold scorpio size for him to be able to do a 450 splash was amazing and the first time i saw him do it my jaw just like dropped down to the ground i'm like holy shit that looked amazing and he was great in the ring he was the guy that shane douglas beat in the finals to be up to become the first ever ecw champion i believe um he was he, you know and he was a big part of the company two cold scorpio at 19 18 i have super crazy um Again, a high flyer, luchador wrestler, had great matches. He's, he, he was always best in a triple threat, you know, he, you know, usually involving Tajiri and Little Guido. But there were all other wrestlers that he could get involved with. I know I, he had some, some matches with Psychosis and, and other guys like that. Uh, but Super Crazy um, bought it every single match. He was just just a great wrestler. And again, for a guy his size, he was not a little guy. And for a guy his size to be able to pull the stuff he did in the ring was, was entertaining as hell. Um, 17, uh, little Guido, uh, like Adam said, he was mostly known as being part of the, the FBI, the full blooded Italians, uh, stable. Um, but I believe that he could really did excel as a singles wrestler. Um, especially like like I said, with those triple threat matches between him, Tajiri, and Super Crazy, those matches stole the show a lot for a lot of uh, not just house shows but pay per views as well. Um, and Bam Bam Bigelow, Bam Bam Bigelow, part of the triple threat with uh, Shane Douglas and Chris Candido. Um, he was the TV champ there for a little bit. Um, he had. A, he had a pretty notable feud with Taz going back in the day. He was and his notoriety for being uh, a big name in WWF carried over in the ECW. So he bought some heft and some name recognition to ECW at a time when they really needed it. So to have a guy like Bam Bam Bigelow, who is one of the more talented and agile big men in the history of professional wrestling, he carried that over to ECW. And just made a made a name not for him, not just for himself, but for the company as well. I agree. I agree. We actually forgot to mention that Super Crazy was trained by Pepper Gomez. We forgot to mention. Well, that. I forgot that. Yeah, Pepper Gomez, of course. Pepper Gomez, and and you know, got a slip dick to Bruiser in there somewhere too. But uh, <laughs> sorry, Adam, to, to to let you in, my dad was really um was really disappointed that we didn't include Pepper Gomez or Dick the Bruiser in our WWF list, even though Pepper Gomez nor Dick the Bruiser ever wrestled for the WWF. But I was anyway, say. <laughs> oh, El Santo. Forgot, El, El Santo. Yeah, forgot about El Santo. But, uh, there's your shout out. We promised yeah. a shout out. There it is. Yeah, there you go. There you go, dad. We, we, we mentioned Pepper Gomez, El Santo and Dick the Bruiser in a list that neither that, None of them actually have any have any uh, have any place in. So yeah, those you know. people well, they're probably long gone. They're probably like, what's ECW? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, I know for a fact Pepper Gomez was gone way before ECW was ever a thing. So 
Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. All right, Bob, how um, about your uh, 20 through 16? My, my bottom five, actually, um, four of them were in your honorable mentions. So oh, I really? I'm going to have to defend my, I guess I got to defend my guys a little bit more here. Um, I start off with number 20 at uh, Big Stevie Cool, Stevie Richards. Number number 19 is your friend, Two Cold Scorpio, just like you had him. Nice. Um, Mikey Whipwreck at 18. Uh, Chris Candido at 17. And 16, we go with New Jack. Um, so Stevie Richards, um, like Adam mentioned, he uh, he started off. Actually, he was in the very first ever ECW match. Um, that when you know the company first started, he was the first one to ever be in the match, and he was actually like Adam mentioned the um, first ever pay per view main event with the Sandman and Terry Funk. But uh, he was always known as Raven's Lackey, as kicked most of the time, but. When he took over the BWO, that was probably one of the most over gimmicks that they had. And I think for a long time, there the BWO shirt was like the highest they had. But Stevie Richards was the leader of that. And, I mean, he was fun to watch. He, he was an agile guy. He was thin and lanky. Body size reminded me of Shawn Michaels, but nowhere near. The... Fun to watch. And I always liked Stevie Richards uh, with regards to that. Uh, Too Cold Scorpio. I think before everyone knew who Dam was too cold. Scorpio was that Rob Van Dam high flyer aerial could match him move for move if he wanted to. Uh, when he first came out, he was an amazing high flyer, he was a great worker. Um, ECW always put Adam mentioned this the stocks and championships with with earlier. Uh, ECW was one of their big belts was a TV champ. Cold Scorpio was a TV champ four times, and that's because he was like the workhorse that they had there. Uh, he had amazing matches with uh, Dean Malenko and Eddie Guerrero. Those were so much fun to watch. And like you said, just a guy his size doing the 450 splash. You're like, holy crap, what is that? You know, that that was amazing to watch. Uh, Mikey Whipwreck, I think one of the things that you mentioned earlier too, Tony, was underdog and, and, and underrated a lot as well for a lot of these guys. And just an easy their companies they never did. Mikey Whipwreck was one of them. Mikey Whipwreck started off as he would set up the ring crew. Like he was part of the ring crew, set up the ring before match. That's how they discovered him. And I mean, the dude ended up beating the Sandman in a ladder match and becoming their champ. Uh, He beat uh, the one of the pit bulls for the TV champion as well. And uh, I think he even beat Stone Cold Steve Austin in one of the CW matches that they had there. But he was that ultimate underdog, that guy that you wanted to cheer for. Again, his ass kicked most of the time, but he was always fun to watch. Um, 17 for me, no gimmicks needed. Chris Candido, uh, he came over from WWE as Skip the Body Donna, and it was just atrocious there, horrible to watch. But then he comes over, and like I said, he he comes in, and it was just so much fun to watch. He was a member of the Triple Threat, but if you remember, he he beat out Lance Storm for that last box. Lance Storm was a member of the Triple Threat too, yeah, and they would feud. And and this is when when they would feud. Those matches were fun to watch. That dude, he he could cut a promo. He was an amazing all around worker. He could wrestle. He could draw people to his matches. He was so much fun. And ECW used him perfectly. And that's why that's why I put him right there on my list. And, and then for original gangster New Jack, like Adam mentioned, when that music blasted, you knew you were in for a treat. Um, he would come out to the ring with the weapon. He would do the high aerial dives off the basketball backboards or the balcony or whatever the hell he wanted to do. Um, 
since since Adam mentioned his favorite weapon, the uh, the Jeff Jarrett guitar, because he would play that before he would smack the shit out of you before too. So that was a big fun one. But I mean, oh yeah, gangsters dominated tag team. But when he was singles, it was always fun to watch, and it was just an attraction that you had to be there. And it, it was it was ECW. So that was that's my number sixteen is New Jack. Nice, nice. Ken, are you with Well, a lot of our picks matched, you know, if not for our honorable mentions or for the bottom five. So I haven't, I concur, man. I concur. How, okay, Adam, how about your uh, 20 through 16? All right. I'm going to start off. Uh, I think at least when you had him as an honorable mention, if not both of you, uh, number 20 for me is Steve Carino. Uh, number 19, super crazy. Uh, you can't go too far uh from super crazy without having Tajiri. So he's number 18, number 17, Masato Tanaka and number 16, Jerry Lynn. Uh, starting with Steve Carino, uh, as we mentioned, uh, King of old school, had some high profile feuds at the end, won the title. If ECW had continued, he probably would have been one of the cornerstones they built around. Uh, they'd build the company around. So um, he's number 20, number 19. Lots has been said about super crazy already, but yeah, um, you know, the ECW made their name largely, you know, they had the extreme style, but they also had the, the cruiserweight style that the Eric Bischoff kind of ripped off and, and took a lot of those guys and brought them to WCW. But uh, Paulie kind of restocked with guys like super crazy and, and to Jerry and, Again, as we've all mentioned, great matches between Tajiri and Super Crazy, uh, Little Guido, Jerry Lynn, so many others. Just kind of a new wave of cruiserweights. Uh, Super Crazy was at the top there. He also had a uh, TV title reign. I think they had a tournament. Um, he beat C.W. Anderson, Guido, and Rhino to win the TV title. Those are some pretty decent names there. Uh, Tajiri, I'm sure Tony's got him on the list a little higher than me, but, uh, <laughs> but he's a uh, great, great talent though. Uh, he's so, he was so stiff, those kicks that he used to do, he did get the guy in the corner, do the kicks. And I mean, it, 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 it was so real. It was crazy. You just hear the crowd just go, Ooh, when he'd hit those kicks, he had those, uh, all those great moves, you know, the, you know, we've, We've talked about the the matches with all the other cruiserweights. He also received a lot of title shots. You know, he got one with Taz. He, he got one with Just Incredible. Just a uh, great talent, and and then he went to WWF and almost achieved as much. But but he made his name in ECW, so that's he's on my list there. On uh, number seventeen, he probably would have been ranked a little higher if he wrestled uh, more frequently. But uh, Masato Tanaka, what what a great talent too. Had those matches with Mike Awesome. I think they had three matches in ECW, am I correct? Three or I four? So. About, yeah, three. yeah. And then, yeah, One Night Stand, 2005, they tore the house down again. Those matches always tore down the house. Um, he got he wore the tag belts a couple times. And in doing a little more research about him, I, I found out Masato Tanaka was the first wrestler to kick out of the 3D Dudley mm-hmm. Death Drop. So yes, he was. I thought that was I thought that was pretty damn cool. Uh, Jerry Lynn, um, he uh, the new effing show. I mean, he started out. Uh, I remember. I think the WWF tried to create a cruiserweight division, which consisted of Takamichinoku and 
Brian Christopher and other guys. And Jerry Lynn were the, was one of those other guys. Then he shows up in ECW and he starts feuding with just incredible and he works his way up the card. I mean, he had those great matches with Rob Van Dam where he gained that nickname, the new effing show. Uh, going back to the show that we were at in Milwaukee, Tony, he actually beat RVD because uh, Scotty Anton interfered in the match. That's so right. Not too, many, that's no, mm-hmm. not too many people beat RVD back then. So that's a big notch in the belt. And once again, he's, he's just a great example. You look at the guy, you know, when you watch WWE, WWF, it's Vince McMahon has always had an affinity for big guys, muscle, you know, chiseled looking guys over the, the actual, you know, wrestlers who move around the ring really quickly and stuff like that. And he goes to ECW, he just, he just wrestles and he gets over with the crowd. I mean, uh, you know, ECW appreciated guys who could work and that's why I loved it so much. And Jerry Lynn's a good example of another guy who, you know, no one would give a chance to anywhere else, but comes in the ECW, just at, just be yourself and fans will love you. So Jerry Lynn rounds up my, uh, 20 through 16. I can't argue with any of those, man. I can't argue with any of those, especially since some of those guys are going to be in my next five person <laughs> show here. All right. Let me start with my five through 11. How about that? How about we go with number 15? I have just incredible and number 14, no gimmicks needed. Chris Candido. Number 13. I have Jerry Lynn, the, just mentioned Jerry Lynn. And number 12, I have Masato Tanaka's arch enemy, Mike Awesome. And at number 11, as has been mentioned by both of you before, I have New Jack at number 11. So we'll start out with number 15, Just Incredible. Um, other, you know, also known as Aldo Montoya, the Portuguese man of war. Um, but, you know, just as a lot of guys who were given that chance in WWF and WWF just couldn't find anything to do with them. You know, he was, he went to ECW and actually built a character that not only just resonated with the crowd and got over, but was just an awesome heel from, Mm -hmm. from the top down. Just incredible was one of the best heels in ECW history And that's saying something because ECW was known for having probably some of the best heels in wrestling bar none, you know, just incredible. Of course he was, uh, he tag team with Lance storm, but he was also a great singles wrestler. And I believe, like I said, just his, his presence, he, he really found himself in ECW and he turned the just incredible character into somebody that, you know, the wrestling public as a whole could get behind. Um, Chris Candido, like I said, you guys both mentioned him. There's really nothing I can really add more to, to Chris Candido. He's, you know, great talent. Uh, yeah, he was a, he was a, smaller dude but of course small dudes in the business can do stuff a lot of the big dudes can't and chris candido proved that in spades and was a great talent for ecw 13 jerry lynn just like adam said the new effing show his matches with rvd always stole the show 
Um, not only that, he had great great matches with the likes of, um, you know, uh, oh, why am I blanking? <laughs> just incredible uh, was yeah, one. Just, I mean, just incredible it about the same time. Yeah, just incredible. Lance Storm. Yeah, all those guys. You know, Jerry Lynn was another guy who was just a, kind of a journeyman who found a home in ECW, found a voice in ECW, kind of just like just incredible. And it was, you know, for a lot of people, he was a revelation, you know, just to see Jerry Lynn, you know, blossom in that environment and show what he really could do. Um, opened up a lot of people's eyes. Um, number 12, Mike Awesome. You know, we talk about agile, agile big men. There's not very many guys who could do what Mike Awesome can do in the ring. You know, stuff off the top rope, you know, planches, you know, and all the way down to just amazing power moves like the Awesome Bomb. Over the, over the top rope onto a table, stuff like that. Mike Awesome was, you know, it's a shame because he couldn't find anybody outside of ECW to really take advantage of the talent that he had. You know, infamously, he went to WCW and was like the fat chick thriller and that 70s guy and all this yeah. other crap. <laughs> And, you know, and even when he went to WWE, you know, after the invasion, they couldn't find anything for him to do either. And that was such a waste of talent because Mike Awesome, you know, as those matches with Masato Tanaka proved, he could steal the show, but he was never given that opportunity. Um, and number 11, New Jack, you know, like you guys have said about New Jack, He's, he's a spectacle and an attraction more than anything. Um, you know, everybody would, you know, if there's a big, you know, big brawl in the middle of the ring involving like 20 guys, you know, it's only a matter of time before the music hits and new Jack comes out with his shopping cart full of shit and just beats the crap out of everybody. Yeah. He was part of the gangsters. Yeah. He was, you know, he, he had a lot of success as a tag team. But after the gangsters, I think he still made enough of an impression to be, you know, at least one of the more, more recognizable faces of ECW. He's kind of what made ECW, not just himself, but other guys um, that we'll mention later, of course. He was one of the key cogs in the machine for ECW and gave them their attitude and their their kind of position in the wrestling industry. I think New Jack was responsible for a lot of that. So I agree 100%. And I think one of the things that uh, we're noticing too is so many of these guys, they did work for different companies. They did work for either WCW or, or the WWE, but they never really had the popularity or the exposure like they should have had, or they were super underutilized and these companies um, that it, it's just sad, but like, like you, you said, I mean, ECW was a perfect home for them. And um, it's just, I'm going to realize it more and more as we go down the list that there's so many of these guys that like you mentioned, Jerry Lynn right now, you know, 
Mr. JL and WCW and the WWE didn't know what to do with them in the cruiserweight division, but you put him in an ECW and it was, wow. You know, was, like you said, a revelation. It was just like that man could work. Chris Candido, the same thing for him. It's just like that man could work. So um, for that, it's just like, I noticed as I look down and down my list, it's like some of these guys were so underutilized in different companies, but ECW was perfect for them. Um, one yeah, guy exactly. that was never in the other two companies, but it was only ECW was Masato Tanaka. He's my number 15. Um, for me, number 14, I introduce him right now is the man beast Rhino. He, he makes a debut on everybody's list right now at 14. Um, 13, I take Bam Bam Bigelow. 12, um, Yoshikiro Tajiri. And number 11, Just Incredible. With uh, Masato Tanaka, you guys have mentioned that the, the feud with Mike Awesome so much fun to watch those matches. Uh, the thing I loved about Masato Tanaka is the man never quit. He would get hit with chair shot after chair shot after chair shot, and he would like he he would do his version of the Hulk up like like Hogan would when he would get that hit was with so great. chair. It was just like holy crap! Like and <laughs> and like like Adam said, like one of the things I had here is you know yeah the man was the first person that ever kicked out of the 3D, and it's just like I still remember watching that. It was a tag match. I think he was with um with Balls Mahoney um as a tag partner. But it was just like, yeah. holy crap. And it was just like, he also, I mean, he, he was the heavyweight champ for a little bit. And he also won the tag titles twice. Um, but Masato Tanaka was so much fun to watch, especially those matches. Uh, Rhino. Rhino the man beast. Um, one of my favorite things about Rhino is, if you remember at the end, he was both heavyweight champion and TV champion. Um, he, he held both titles. And I'll always remember uh, the TV um station had just canceled their show and rhino to cut a promo where he's like i'm the tv champion and we don't even have a goddamn station <laughs> so yeah. i remember rhino for that uh rhino was a big dude he was a big jack dude but he can move like he was 100 pounds lighter um you know he at that time you know goldberg had the spear but rhino had the gore and everyone would be like the gore the gore but he, he also uh, can move pretty well for a big guy his size but he was always fun to watch I remember you went in and guilty as charged and he just completely destroyed the Sandman and you're like, holy crap, you know, like usually the Sandman will bring out a match in you, but Rhino just like squashed him and it was just like, wow. Um, Bam Bam Bigelow to me, another guy. The WWE had him. He main evented him when he was with Lawrence Taylor in WrestleMania. But that was like the biggest Bam Bam Bigelow call because other than that after that they put him I think in DiBiase's corporation and then just put him here team up with Tatanka and go do this you know after that they just let his character die and then he goes to ECW and he just had that resurgence there um for a dude his size again he moved like he was a cruiserweight the guy could just do kicks and you know he would still do the cartwheels and everything and he was just so much fun to watch and he he belonged in that triple threat with Shane Douglas and, and Candido Huge matches with Taz where they uh they went through the the ramp. Remember they they fly through the ramp when he he backdrops Taz yeah. the Taz mission. Yeah. Well, that was that was fun to watch. Uh, Tajiri was one of my favorites. The Japanese buzzsaw Yoshihiro Tajiri. He he would do the mist like the great Muda would do, but his round cows kicks like Adam mentioned earlier, the springboard uh, back elbow that he would do, and the tarantula like. Just watching him in those matches with, I remember at first he used to come out and everyone's like, ah, you know who the hell is this guy in his little blue and white trunks that he would come out with, and no one really cared for him. But when he kind of came, 
the the long black pants with the fire on it and stuff like that's when Tajiri took off for me and it was I would always look forward to watching Tajiri match. And then again we t- guys that were underutilized Aldo Montoya no one knew what the hell to do with that guy <laughs> the Portuguese man of war but then here he comes to ECW and make him this this arrogant punk you know and just be like hey go out and do you and he, he was he was fun to watch man with, with the impact players fantastic tag team with Jason and, and uh, uh, Don Marie as, as their managers but he always had that kendo stick and he would do the that's incredible spike pile drive um, I remember he, he won the championship like what maybe 20 minutes 30 minutes after Tommy Dreamer did he, he stole it from him and everyone hated him for that because he was a person like you mentioned earlier Tony and uh, just incredible was like I said he he was perfect for ECW because after that I think he went back to WWE. He did all this other stupid crap that they just never knew how to use him, which was sad. Yeah. You're up, Adam. Oh, all right. Uh, <laughs> starting at fifteen, uh, we've talked about him. Uh, Two Cold Scorpio, number fourteen, Mike Awesome. Number 13, Lance Storm. Number 12 is Rhino. And number 11, just like Bob, is just incredible. Uh, Two Cold Scorpio, talked about him a few times. Uh, Four-time TV champion, can't ignore that. Had a lot of high-profile feuds. Um, He kind of was, he was in ECW, you know, before I really started watching it, but kind of looking at his career, you know, he had a lot of matches with, top guys like Shane Douglas, Sabu, and Taz. Uh, he beat some great guys to win those TV titles. Uh, Dean Malenko, Eddie Guerrero, Mikey Whipwreck among them. Um, great talent again, you know, smaller guy and was usually used in the opening card for WCW and went over and made a big impact in ECW. And then uh, it's, it's been common throughout this podcast, went to WWE later on and they didn't know what to do with them. Uh, Mike Awesome's my my number fourteen. I would have put him a little higher because I was a big fan of his. But the way he did ECW at the end, where he he tried to leave his champ and then uh, go to WCW, that always left a bad taste in my mouth. Uh, but I mean, his talent is undeniable. For uh, I've never seen a big man move like that. Uh, we've mentioned the matches with Masato Tanaka. The one of the best memories I have. I've been to many live wrestling shows in my time. And when we went to Anarchy Rules, I think it was 99. Um, and that was when Taz, uh, everyone found out Taz was going to be leaving and Taz was supposed to face Masato Tanaka in the title match. And Mike Awesome made a surprise appearance. And then mm-hmm. both Awesome and Tanaka got, got uh, Taz pinned right away. And Taz kind of had his send off. And the two, yeah, you know, right. everyone was just so sad and upset and chanting, F.U. Taz, F.U. Taz, and everyone was really upset about Taz leaving, but then Awesome and Tanaka put on this great match, and you just feel like, oh, there's, there's still hope for ECW. They're going to they're gonna be okay. Losing a big, big talent here, but but these two guys are, are here to you know help right the ship, and and he was a great champion when he was the champion. I just, the way he left kind of left a sour taste in my mouth, but but yeah, uh, no denying just how talented he was, and and uh, definitely the best moments of his career were spent in ECW. Uh, Thirteen for me is Lance Storm. Um, 
teamed up with Justin Incredible and the Impact players. Um, it would beat Tommy Dreamer in several matches. That's a big name to beat. Um, and another one whose ability was just valued over his gimmick. Um, he just wrestled and he got over. Uh, I was very disappointed when he went to WWE and and they did the whole boring chant when you'd be putting on a great match. Uh, that was very disappointing to me. ECW crowds were different. They appreciated ability. And even though he was kind of a vanilla type of personality, you know, he, he got himself over with his Calgary, Alberta, Canada comments. And if I could be serious. And so he, he was, he was a great, you know, uh, soft-spoken heel. Uh, Rhino checks in for me at number 12. Um, as Bob mentioned, he unified the titles at the end of ECW's run. There's there's no doubt that he would have been one of the guys that would have uh, given the ball to run with if ECW had survived. Um, homegrown star, uh, probably their last great homegrown star. Uh, the other thing that really struck me about Rhino is he was very loyal to ECW. Uh, when, when I watched the WWE produced uh, ECW video, uh, I remember him saying about how he, he was just in disbelief that the company had ended. He would go on the website, check for shows. It was almost like he was in denial that the company was done. He was that yeah. dedicated to it. So um, he was he was kind of he, he just had this to me, it just made the impression he was an ECW for life kind of guy, like some of the guys who are a little higher up my list. And just incredible checks at number 11 for me. You know, you guys both said it, you know, he wrestled in WWF first. He looked like a 12 year old made a big bird costume and put it on him. I mean, he looked absolutely ridiculous. Maybe, maybe even a little bit of Terry Taylor, red rooster going on with, with the way he looked. I mean, it's amazing. The guy didn't quit the business. They humiliated him so much. Um, but I mean, again, that just speaks to, to Paul Heyman and how he just, he sees ability in people and, and the fact that he gave all his talent, the freedom to just work their characters out, be themselves and, and come up with something great. And nine times out of 10, most guys in that company did. I, I, there aren't a lot of guys I can mention in ECW that I thought were lame or just awful. I mean, there weren't too many and just incredible is just another great example of somebody who, you know, you know, reinvented himself and became a star. And uh, it's a shame he didn't he didn't continue that after ECW went off. Uh, yeah, so that's number eleven for me. I can attest to your to your Rhino comment about the loyalty. We actually um, we met him at a show, and uh, super cool dude. But um, I had re- remember watching the documentary on the on the ECW and, and when they redid one night stand, that whole pay-per-view where they brought ECW back, Rhino was originally supposed to be the edge character underneath the, uh, the helmet that speared John Cena. And oh. uh, he, he, he just said he couldn't do it. He said he couldn't do it because like you said, he was in disbelief of the company just going, falling through. And it was, he just didn't have it in him to do it, but he admitted to us that he was, it was supposed to be him, but he just couldn't do it. That's a great story. I didn't know that either, man. That's wow. Fun times. He's also a huge germaphobe, so I, I think it's funny that this is going on right now in the in the coronavirus world. But and Rhino was a huge germaphobe to begin with a long time ago. The gore is not really uh, a very sanitary move either. 
<laughs> exactly. Wrestling's not a very sanitary profession. <laughs> well, I, I suppose. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. All right. Well, we've all gotten through our uh, our bottom tens. That means we are now going to get into our our top ten here. Uh, I'll start with my top ten or my my number ten here, and that is the Japanese bud saw Yoshihiro Tajiri. Um, as both of you know, I'm a huge Tajiri mark. He for him, for me. He was, especially, you know, when I was at the height of my ECW fandom, Tajiri was my dude. I, I could sit and watch a Tajiri match and just have a smile from ear to ear. I would mark out like nobody for for Tajiri. I, I think I did. Like when he, you know, when I saw him at live events and at pay-per-views, I'm pretty sure whenever he came out, I was the dude marking out for him in the crowd because he he was appreciated but he was never like really one of the top guys you know he was always kind of like a middle of the card guy but goddamn i loved yoshihiro tajiri well bob um, mentioned uh i'm uh, sorry to interrupt but bob uh, bob mentioned earlier when he first started he kind of had blue tights he's kind of ordinary looking and and you you yeah. were the one who appreciated his ability first and, and dubbed him hardcore tajiri and then he kind of went over underwent the character evolution and you, you you were you were ahead of the pack with Tajiri. So you say I'm 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 responsible for Tajiri's career is basically what you're saying. I I, I would say yeah that that you're on the pie chart for sure. Awesome. That's all I wanted to hear. Agree. Um. Yeah. Because you know, like you guys said, the the stiff kicks, the springboard elbow, you know, the the running um, the running uh drop kick when he when the guy's in the tree oh, yeah. low. Mm, the, yes. the the tarantula, everything about Tajiri's matches just was awesome to me. I loved him. I'm still a huge mark. When they when the WWE bought him back a couple of years ago for that cruiserweight um for the cruiserweight challenge. Do you, I don't know if you guys remember that, but no. they bought Tajiri. They they had like a cruiserweight tournament um to crown like a new cruiserweight champ, and they made Tajiri part of the tournament. When I heard that. I lost my friggin' mind because I was like, holy shit, they're bringing Tajiri back in a cruiserweight tournament. And he did not disappoint. You know, at this point, Tajiri's got to be in his late 40s, if not his 50s. And he still delivered great matches. The man is, he'll always be upper tier to me. Um, you know, this is my damn list. He's in my top 10. <laughs> Couldn't really just couldn't really justify putting him any higher than ten, given the names that are in front of him. But I was not gonna make an ECW list and not give Yoshihiro Tajiri the due that I believe he deserves. He is in my top ten for my ECW list. I I one hundred percent agree. Tajiri was awesome. He he was ECW's version of just something you didn't see. Um, especially coming in from an international star. And, and it was just like, wow, that man's amazing. It's because you weren't used to those stiff kicks and those stiff hits when you would see like him just come out and do the roundhouse kicks. You're like, whoa. And, and it's just like WWE didn't have that. WCW didn't have that. And you're like, wow, this, this guy's different. Um, I do recall the Cruiserweight Challenge, and I hated it because I think they had him job to Grand Metallic. And I was just like, why? 
You know, like why bring yeah. him back for that? You know, that's, that's true. But I wasn't expecting him to win that tournament, considering how old he is. I he just should. wanted to see. I just wanted to see him compete again, and I was satisfied. Ah, I, I hear you. I hear you. But again, that's the WWE. So, um, your number ten, I'll match him with mine. Is uh, someone you used in the WCW list, and that's Lance Storm. Um, mm-hmm. Lance Storm was. To me, when when I would watch Lance Storm wrestle, we we talk about Tajiri's move. Lance Storm had that rolling single leg Boston crab that he would pull out of nowhere, and yeah. just to see him do that, that was so much fun. It was just like, wow, this man can wrestle. Um, and, and ECW had so many different characters: the over the top New Jack characters, you know, the uh, the flaming table ball Mahoney characters, the Dudley Boys, and everything that the violence with the gangsters, and like you would talk about. But Lance Storm can wrestle his ass off any day of the week. And and uh, when you would see him wrestle, it was just so much fun because he brought that actual technical wrestling skill. And, and it was just – the dude was flawless when he came to wrestling. Um, he was in the triple threat, and then they kicked him out, started feuding with Candido. But then when he went to the impact play, this awesome and, and i loved everything about Lance Storm. and i remember you put him on your wcw list because when he actually left um i think he came or kicked uh hugh morris i think it might have been or something like that but like they wcw just skyrocketed him to the moon like you said they gave him pretty much every title they could yeah uh and he didn't how great he was but like adam says when when they would the crowd would just be like oh this is boring and they would boo no it, everything about Lance Storm was amazing Agreed. Yeah, yeah. That was the whole reason I put him on my WCW list, like you said, because they they strapped the rocket on him. They gave him pretty much every mid card belt in the company at one point, including including the tag belts. I think he was a tag champ too. And yeah, I I it was really hard for him me not to include him on an ECW list, but just the way that WCW utilized him when when he came over. And the amount of and the amount of uh, titles they gave him, I, I had to put him on that list instead. Just remember, you put him on the same list as Mongo McMichael. So, yes, McMichael was an honor honorary mention. <laughs> he was not in the top twenty. Well, Ugh. he shouldn't uh, be in the top anyway. three hundred. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I will say, following up with Lance Storm, that he was one of maybe three or four things Vince Russo did correctly in WCW. So I'll say that. Yeah, uh, WWE should have used him like in a in a new kind of Canada versus U.S. angle. I, was, I always wanted to see that, like him and Benoit and Jericho, like form like a group of like angry Canadians, like the Hart Foundation, but that never came to fruition. Uh, moving to my number 10, uh, it's... He's been mentioned on both your lists, and uh, he happens to be the first Triple Crown champion in ECW history, the first of three. Can you guys name him? First Triple Crown champion? First one. Who? Was it Mikey? It was Mikey Whipwreck. You are correct, sir. Okay. So he wow, you got just... Mikey Whipwreck at number 10. Well, for that alone, he gets that's number ten. Uh, that that was fascinating. It, it, it was so much fun researching this. So, thank you for having me on. Um, no, not a problem. Lot, lot of uh, lots been mentioned. Uh, so, the risk is sounding repetitive. I mean, talk about homegrown talent. Uh, Bob mentioned he he started on the ring crew. 
Uh, he was trained by Mick Foley. Uh, he was a little guy. I mean, like uh, he was, he was just tiny. It's like, you know, you look at this guy and how, how could he kick anyone's ass? But, but I mean, he, he just, just kind of represented, you know, the fans uh, kind of, you know, just like a guy who looks unlikely, like he could compete in such a wild federation. And, and, and he accomplished so much with the title run and he won the TV title two times. And then he, you know, he feuded with Sandman, beat him for the title. And then, I mean, how many people can say they beat Steve Austin, you know, in the middle of the ring, you know, in the mid to late nineties, not too many guys. So that that's a big notch in the belt. Uh, he beat Scorpio for the TV title. I mean, he just, you go down the list of who he's faced of whether he won or lost. I mean, they gave him, they gave him the ball to run with. He, he fought Taz, he fought RVD, you know, he, he pretty much took on everybody and, and again, just the embodiment of what ECW was. It's just, uh, remember Paul Heyman talking about ECW and the Beyond the Mat documentary about guys, who, you know, he would work with guys who didn't believe they could do it. And then, you know, through hard work, they started gradually believing in themselves and, and, uh, it all paid off. So Mikey's my number 10. Nice. I love the Beyond the Mat reference. That was, that was a good one. Did I, do you actually? Well, there, um, there, there may be another one coming up. Uh, like may. Now, like, <laughs> as long as we can get on the show, that's going to be good. Um, the uh, Bonds, do you, do, you, uh, do you recall who um, discovered Mikey Whipwreck, actually? Do you, re- do you know this trivia question? Who discovered him? Yeah. Who would see him try out in the ring after he would set it up, and that's how Paul Heyman found out about him. Oh, God, no. Do you know Adam? I'm going to guess Mick Foley. No, it's Joey Styles, actually. Oh, wow. Yeah, good old Joey Styles reference right there. Well, Joey, Joey's a good uh, good judge of talent, you know. Yeah, he would watch say. he would watch Mikey uh just do his moves after he would set up the ring and just one day he went up to Paul Heyman is like you got you need to check this dude out and they gave him a little tryout run and Foley started training him and he just took off after that. Nice. Yes, indeed. So we're back to me, right? Yes, sir. Number yep. nine. All right. Number nine. Number nine already been mentioned by both you guys, I believe. My number nine is the man beast rhino. That is, uh, you know, like you said, unified the belts. Uh, you know, he was, was he officially the last ECW champion before the, before they folded? I believe so. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I, I, keep, I keep on forgetting if it was him or Steve Carino. But, uh, yeah, he was officially the last ECW champ. You know, just a walking friggin' fire hydrant, that guy. You know, the, <laughs> the, the spear is a move now, especially, that has been, you know, used by a lot of people as a finisher. Some guys do it really well. Some guys don't. Um, but Rhino's gore was as stiff of a spear I've ever seen anybody do. When you saw him do that thing, especially through a table set up in the corner, that shit looked like it hurt. And, you know, it was... Rhino was one of those guys who you legitimately believed could cause 
massive amounts of damage. Um, I remember what what was that spot? He when he was uh, he was uh, feuding with the Sandman, and didn't he didn't he, uh, he piled the, the Sandman's wife through the table? Yeah, oh, yeah. It was you, you know, Rhino was just a he was a literal ball of muscle that had great speed, incredible explosiveness, and. He in he was able to put on great matches as well. He wasn't like a Goldberg guy, who you know here I'm going to do my three moves and then I'm I'm out of here in five minutes. He was able to give you a really good match on top of it. And like you guys said, he was a homegrown talent. He was raised up in ECW and after ECW closed, was able to have a really good wrestling career outside of it. So yeah, Rhino the Man Beast. He's my number nine. Nice. I like I, I like that one and like I mean for me, Rhino was on my list, but like I said, it's it's hard because there's so many other people that we go back and forth. And I mean, obviously you couldn't put Landstorm on your list, but I could, so that's why I mean we go back and forth here and there. But Rhino was a little bit lower on mine, but he could have been higher as well. But there were so many people I saw that I had higher. And uh, another quick qu- trivia question for you guys: You mentioned Rhino being the last ever champ. Who was the last ever tag champs? The last they're, not gonna ever they're not going to be on this list, so I can tell you that right now. Would would that have been Doring and Roadkill? That is Danny Doring and Amish Roadkill. Nice, nice. We 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 met them at a show once, and and I uh, I asked Danny Doring, I'm like, where's the belt? He's like, they're at my house. Paul's never asked for them, so I'm keeping them in, and that's that's all I can say about that. <laughs> and, he had that. Have you guys ever? He did a shoot interview. Uh, I saw on YouTube. It's one of the best I've ever seen. Uh, Danny Doring has no love lost for Paul. We'll, we'll just we'll just leave it there. I love Danny Doring. He was super awesome. He, I, I like like Tony would mark out for Tajiri. I would mark out for Danny Doring. I don't know what it was about him, but it was just so much fun to watch him. I couldn't put him on my list. Just, he was just like a personal favorite. Just him and like I said with Nova earlier. Uh, he almost made that honorable mention for me, but Danny Doring was, I was a big fan of Danny Doring. Um, not to get sidetracked, number nine for me, Mike Awesome. Um, Mike Awesome to me was one of the best big men I've ever seen out there. Uh, agile, the moves he could do, the way he would fly around the ring. Uh, his mullet was awesome too. And, we would talk about the feud, the feuds with Masato Tanaka. Those matches were amazing. But I remember he uh, he power bombed JT Smith with like a rummer, r- running power bomb. He threw him out, hit the rail, and like s- almost broke dudes back just by throwing him into the rail. He like snapped him in half, and you're like, holy crap, <laughs> you know. But for a man to move around like he did and do the awesome bomb and everything like that, it was just like. Holy crap! This dude, this dude was special. And then he he goes over to WCW and they completely destroy it. He goes over to the WWE and again they they completely destroy. It. I mean, I thought at WCW, okay, maybe because he came out and he attacked Kevin Nash. Remember, he just came out of nowhere and he, just, yep. he beat up Nash. Yeah. Wow, there's Mike Awesome, and, and they just destroyed it after that. Um, I think he was part of Team Canada with Hacksaw Jim Duggan. You know, it's just like, well, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> um, and, and I get I get where Adam said, you know, the reason he pushed him down was because of the loyalty and he left with the title belt. But so many of these people that we're talking about, how many of them did not leave because of money, financial issues? ECW is known for bouncing checks. ECW is known for not being able to pay their guys. Uh, 
Mike Austin just did what Mike Austin had to do, I guess. You know, he just left with the title belt and did what he had to do, and they, they took it away from him before it happened. But so many of the people that we're going to talk about, even in our top 10, they left one time just because of money anyway. And I don't blame them, but Mike Austin's number nine on my list. Well, it's the perfect yeah, segue to my number nine. Let's do it. Yeah. Uh, Bam Bam Bigelow. Uh, speaking of bounce checks and, and uh, agile big man. Uh, <laughs> as I mentioned earlier, I think my first glimpse of ECW was him throwing Spike Dudley in the audience. Like, what the hell is this promotion? Wow. And I was always a big Bam Bam Bigelow fan. I mean, I'm sure you both remember the original uh, WrestleMania Nintendo game where he yes. would do the cartwheels in it. And I'm like, this guy's yeah. awesome. And, and, his, and his tattooed head, I was always a huge fan. And like, you know, he did. Uh, he was gone as quick as he came in WWF, and then I think he was in WCW for a short time. And I was excited when he got brought back to WWF in the early '90s. But then he's jobbing the clowns and football players. I'm like, oh, jeez. So when I saw Bam Bam on ECW, I'm like, wow, okay, well, this is cool. So I, you know, I kind of checked the show out, and and uh, I got hooked on the whole product. So I had to kind of at Bam Bam Bigelow for me getting in the ECW in the first place. But I think he also deserves a lot of credit for, um, you know, just that, that's arguably one, uh, if not the biggest name uh, who was in the company, it's it's got to be in the top three. Like most people know who wrestling fans are, know immediately who Bam Bam Bigelow is. So it kind of gave some legitimacy to them. And, uh, you know, there's a, there's a big name who's in, in ECW. So it gave him a little more notoriety and, and he was just great in the ring. Tony mentioned his, his matches with Taz and yep, them falling through the ring. And uh, he actually, you know, Taz, was, when he was feuding with Taz, that was a period where Taz was unbeatable and he managed mm-hmm. to beat him. And one of the few at that time, because Taz was just a unstoppable machine back then in that, at that point in time. And he held his own with him. So um, Bam Bam Bigelow's number nine. Nice. You forgot, right, to mention, well, then, forgot to mention his cameo in Major Pain. Indeed. It's <laughs> <laughs> like true. Every, every week we have a, a wrestler that we talk about that is amazing in movies. So there, there's our cameo. Yeah, the one I think the one ECW guy who was actually in a movie, a major movie. If I remember, well, no, 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 no. I'll, I'll wait for it my, later. My, I know my my, <laughs> my number my number eight was in one of the best movies of all time. My number eight was in the masterpiece known as Roadhouse. Yes. My number eight is the man, the myth, the legend, Mister Terry Funk. <laughs> yes, Terry Funk is number eight on my ECW list. As we know, you know at the as immortalized in Beyond the Mat, as we all know, he was he was crowned ECW champion at their first pay per view. He was a he was the the guy with the name recognition. He was the guy who bought, you know, legitimacy really to ECW. Paul Heyman entrusted Terry Funk with, you know, giving his like he says, his, his his legitimacy for the to, for the promotion. He wanted, he knew that if he got Terry Funk 
involved in the, not not just involved in in the in the uh, promotion, but giving him an, a significant um, role in it. He knew that that brought a lot of cachet from the wrestling crowd, especially the the guys who really really enjoy wrestling or really into it. You know, not just your mainstream fans, but your hardcore fans, so to speak. You know, they knew that if a guy like Terry Funk was lending his name and his time and his effort to a promotion like ECW, then that was a big deal. And they rewarded him for it, albeit briefly, but they did reward him for it. And, you know, he he did as much as anybody to put ECW on the map, to give it that kind of attention, that mainstream attention that they really needed to be considered, you know, in the upper echelons of the wrestling business, to be that number three promotion behind WCW and the WWE. So, yeah, Terry Funk gets all the credit in the world, and he's he's uh, he's there on my list. I like that segue I led you into. That was a good one. Yes, yes. Unintended. I, I, I thank you for that, sir. The, Terry uh, Funk, number eight on my list. I, I always loved the, the Desperado theme song that he would come out to for the Eagles. And um, yeah, and, and the other thing is one of my favorite Terry Funk memories. Um, remember the match he had with, with, with Mick Foley where everyone started throwing the chairs into the ring? And uh, I, Fo- I think Foley stayed in there and uh, Terry Funk's like, screw this. And he just rolls out of the ring, but everyone's just throwing all these chairs into the ring and Foley's covered by it. I forgot who else was involved in the match, but that's one of my favorite Terry Funk memories besides him retiring 75 times. <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's my last match it's my last match uh, I'm not booked I'm not booked <laughs> I, I unfortunately couldn't put Terry Funk on my list even though he would have been on there but uh, I used him in WCW because uh, it was WCW Jip Crockett which Terry Funk to me was a big part of that but uh, for me my number 8 uh, was already mentioned by both of you gentlemen and Jerry Lynn um, I was a big Jerry Lynn mm-hmm. fan I felt Jerry Lynn was one of the few, maybe few people, but that could actually go toe to toe with Rob Van Dam style, um, any kind of way that he wanted to. That the feud that they had together was one of the best feuds in ECW. Their matches were five star matches all the time, but he could keep up with Van Dam toe to toe all the time. He was one of the best performers in ECW. Again, the dude was just so underrated, which a lot of these guys were, but Jerry Lynn never got – he was Mr. JL wrestling under their damn mask in WCW. They had no idea what to do with him. He was in the, the WWE, and they put him in that tournament that Adam mentioned earlier, and they had no idea what the hell to do with him. But then they let him take off in ECW, and like I said, Rob Van Dam, those matches made him, and he even won the championship belt. But he was one of the best workers that they had, and it was always fun to watch a Jerry Lynn match. He's my number eight. Very nice. I, Very nice. I agree. Great talent. Well, uh, my number eight is going to sound a little familiar, um, but I'm going to have to start my number eight asking you guys a question. Um, if you happen to be coughing up blood, what would you do? <laughs> I'll start with Tony. <laughs> I know exactly where you go with this. Um, if I was going to cough up blood, yeah, what um, would your first response be? Um, 
to cough it into a napkin, look at it, and then just continue drinking my beer. Would that be what you would do, Bob? I, I agree 100%. We're both Lopez's, so that's what we would do. Uh, but the beer, the, the beer has to be a Coors Light. It has to be a Coors Light. <laughs> my number eight is also the Funker himself, Terry Funk. Yeah. I, I, you know, I did, you know, again, I did some research to help refresh my memory on some of this stuff. And he essentially started wrestling in the hardcore style at the age of 50, which is insane. Mm -hmm. Uh, So for that alone, he needs to be high up on this list. Obviously, as you both mentioned, he's just a wrestling icon. Um, It it was very hard to decide uh, because I did listen to your WCW show and and Terry Mm -hmm. Funk definitely belongs on that list. But the reason why he made it to my ECW list is, is kind of like Tony mentioned earlier. He just, he gave legitimacy to the promotion. Um, he, you know, at the time he could wrestle anywhere and he, he tried to give this upstart company a big kick and some exposure for their pay-per-view and, and uh, the, the guy could still work at that age. And he's doing moonsaults off of ladders at age 53 and, and all this. It, it's just, he was, you know, again, uh, Bob mentioned the theme song. Desperado was a perfect song for him, you know, because the choruses or the verses, why don't you come to your senses? Because this is crazy old man getting his head bashed in. And, <laughs> you know, remember he had that Born to be Wired match with Sabu and, and, and all these legendary matches all over, the, all over the world with Cactus Jack where, with the barbed wire and explosions in the ring and, and all that. I mean, he was the embodiment of, of uh, ECW. That's It's almost like Heyman wanted to shape ECW in the image of what Terry Funk was doing at the time. So Terry Funk is an excellent choice for number eight. Nice. I like it. Nice. All right. We'll move on to number seven. And my number seven guy. What about me? What about Raven? Wow. Okay. Yeah. Number seven for me is Raven. He he's another guy, another guy who you could consider at that point was a journeyman. He had been in both WCW and WWF before his stint in in ECW. You know, he was famously, you know, Scotty Flamingo. He was Johnny Polo. He was all these really horrible gimmicks. But he, he you could tell even in those characters, he was a great talker. He was and he was talented in the ring. He just those gimmicks were just never going to get over. And then he makes the jump to ECW and Paul Heyman again is able to do what he does, which is maximize a person's positives and minimize their negatives. And he, you know, he takes advantage of what's going on at that part, you know, in popular culture at that time, you know, the grunge era was, you know, roaring in the mid nineties. And he makes, he gives him the Raven character, which is, you know, the guy dressed up in flannels and leather and, you know, he's depressed and, you know, just down on the world. But, you know, and the, the program he goes into with Tommy Dreamer, you know, is classic prolonged wrestling storytelling because that angle went on for years. Ever. <clears throat> went on forever with Raven almost always getting the upper hand on Tommy Dreamer. Um, And Raven cut a promo, a really intriguing promo. 
and look like he's not even trying, you know, mm-hmm. he, great storyteller, great with psychology, great in the ring, you know, that character really resonated and it, he, you know, it resonated so much that when he left for WCW and ultimately WWE again as well, that was the character he kept. He was Raven from that point on and still is to this day. So yeah, Raven, my number seven. Quote the Raven. Nevermore. Even did the same gimmick in TNA as well. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. But um, yeah, big Raven fan. Um, from my number seven comes in as uh, the franchise, Shane Douglas. Oh, okay. Uh, the other night, came out on the radio from Deep Purple and you're like, whoa, okay, I remember this. When that music would hit, it was like, here comes Shane Douglas. Shane Douglas, there, there, I honestly believe there was no ECW without Shane Douglas. You want to talk about Raven's promo. When Shane Douglas did the promo where he took the, the NWA title belt and he crash, that's what created ECW. And from there... I think he was one of their first big heels. ECW, like you mentioned, was big on heel. Um, and, and he was one of their first big heels because he was the original champ out there that they had. And he was a part of the triple threat, the, the longest reigning champion that they had. Um, he had those amazing feuds that with, with McFoley, with the Pitbull, where I, he the um the people had broken his neck and he grabbed him by the halo and he threw him remember that yeah and uh it was just King Douglas was just that like that perfect jock that everyone just wanted to beat the shit out of like everyone hated him but he yeah he could work a mic like no other and, and to me that's what ECW built first came out was you know Shane Douglas the franchise and I was a big fan and again he was in Dean Douglas he he left for the money for Dean Douglas absolutely horrible um i think he was that intercontinental champion maybe once but other than that he was he was garbage and then when he went to wcw again they know how to use him um so it was just it was bad but and ecw was the franchise and that's where he belonged and for me he's my my number awesome awesome yeah i can't I can't disagree with any of that, man. Shane Douglas, the franchise. He was the franchise for a reason. Yes. And- yeah. Right, when, when, when I get fired up at work or at something else or somebody else, maybe even in traffic, I will sometimes even be known to go, and they can all kiss my ass. <laughs> Not ashamed to admit it. Not ashamed. Nice. nice. Well, me and Tony uh, haven't talked before this, but uh, my number seven is also Raven. So good. Uh, there's another coincidence. Uh, yeah, I mean, you you pretty much uh, uh, described him to a T perfectly. I mean, I, I would I would add that the character at the time, you know, yeah, reflected the times with with grunge culture and all that. But I mean, what he, what Raven did with himself was was revolutionary. I mean, no one really looked like him, and the promos, like you mentioned, were very psychological, very deep. They, they reminded me of Jake, the snake Roberts, you know, Jake always cut those deep philosophical promos. Raven was like the Jake Roberts of, of ECW, he even did the DDT. So, so there's a lot of 
similarities there, but uh, I think Raven's taking a little bit better care of himself uh, in terms of substance abuse, <laughs> but I don't know that to be a fact. Uh, but going back to in the ring again, just his promos were just, you know, he was probably the best promo man in, in the history of VCW. And you mentioned the feud with, with Tommy dreamer, just this crazy stuff. And, and uh, unless we not mention the, the angle that uh, forced Kurt angle out of ECW where uh, they decided to put the Sandman on the cross uh, and that caused Kurt angle to say, I ain't wrestling here. Uh you know, that was just that was just them pushing the envelope further. They probably went too far that time, maybe. But I mean, you the character always pushed the envelope, was always cutting edge, and that's what ECW was. It wasn't, you know, when when this stuff was going on, you still had clowns and cowboys wrestling and stuff like that. And instead, you had like like Tony mentioned, just these depressed, angsty people. You know, that was a big part of young people in the '90s. A lot of them were just angry and depressed and. And, and moody and and raven spoke to a lot of those to those fans i think he connected with a lot of fans and like you mentioned it is rare that you know when he go to another promotion he'd keep the same character that that speaks a lot that you know no one sees him as anything else other than raven that's how strongly he got the character over so um yeah i would say yeah raven is number seven and the only reason he's that low is because there's a lot of other great guys still to get to on the list yeah, I I definitely agree. We'll move on to number six. My number six is the cane wielding, beer swilling madman. The Sandman is my number six. You know, again, the Sandman's kind of like he's like New Jack in a sense, where he's more of an attraction than you know a guy that you paid money to actually see wrestle a match. Because honestly, he's not that great of a wrestler, you know, but he's, you know, the attraction more than makes up for it. You know, a lot of it having to do with his entrance. Of course, you know, when you hear Enter Sandman, you know, over the over the intercom, the crowd goes nuts. And he, you know, Enter Sandman's a five minute song and he uses every single second of that song to just make it to the ring and it's you know just part of the package of course the beer smashing the can up against his head uses the kendo stick you know and he's another guy who was homegrown he was another guy who was a product of ecw you know i I think what he was like a construction worker or something and he just he moonlighted as a wrestler and ended up being and ended up being a hit ended up going over with the crowd and he was one of the early faces and one of the most distinguished faces of ECW. So yeah, number six, the Sandman. And just like recent episodes, we always come with the same number. The Sandman for me is number six as well. There you go. Uh, great mind. I think alike, Tony. For me, the Sandman, uh, entrance um the the beer the cigarette uh the kendo stick you you saw all that and it was the sandman um when those lights would go out and you would hear that music blast you're like all right you know you're like like we mentioned with new jack now now it's time we're in for a treat he was an absolutely atrocious wrestler 
Um, yeah, you know, he was it was very bad. I think his finisher was like what the Russian leg sweep or something like that. It was it was pretty bad. Yeah, um, it was a Russian leg sweep called. with the kendo stick. Yeah. Uh, but the guy was also five time heavyweight champ, which is a record for ECW. You know, like it was just like okay, um, but he personified what ECW was. Um, when you think of the crowd, when you think of the the setting, it, it was just the same. It was ECW, and um, I'll I'll always love him for that. I was always a big fan, but like I said, just because of the attraction that he was. But you can't do a list without having the Sandman on it. All right, he was my number six. Nice, Adam, you're number six. All right, uh, this is another. ECW original and was hard to put him at this number, but, but my top five are my top five, um, Tommy dreamer. Uh, he's, you know, WCW had sting WWE had the undertaker. Tommy dreamer was that guy for ECW. He was just the picture of loyalty. And I mean, not only as a wrestler, he, he booked behind the scenes, he sold t-shirts. I mean, uh, the man was just, you know, the, Blood, sweat, and tears. ECW was was Tommy Dreamer, and an, another example of you know somebody who just kind of started out as you know a guy, and then he got in all these these matches and evolved into the innovator of violence, and and just had so many great matches. But he was such a company guy. I mean, he he. I mean, he got his share of wins, but as we mentioned, the feud with Raven. He only beat Raven on Raven's way out of the out of ECW. You know, he put other guys over uh, all the time. Um, you know, a lot of other great feuds with the Sandman, the Dudleys, uh, the, you know, just, just, uh, yeah, and probably not the greatest, uh, like, like Sandman, he wasn't exactly the greatest worker, but, but he just had a lot of heart. And I mean, you know, he wore ECW shirts to the ring. I mean, I, that guy was, was the company mm-hmm. and, uh, I remember uh, going back to the retrospective DVD about how he was upset about uh, getting the title when he had it because you know he never wanted he, he never wanted Tommy Dreamer to to be a champion, but Paul gave him the belt because he knew he wasn't going anywhere. I mean, yeah, just a selfless company guy, but put on great matches and and uh, was just you know again. Uh, a lot of the a lot of the guys you look at them and and they just look like you and me or, or some guy you see at the bar. But I mean, uh, he just he took the ball and ran with it and and uh, yeah, he's he's the the banner waver for for ECW. So number six for me is Tommy Dreamer. That's a great number six. Well, your number six is my number five, the innovator of violence. Tommy Dreamer is number five on my list. Going into our top five. Yeah, everything you said was right on. You know, company guy helped Pauly with everything from merchandise to the fan club to cutting promos to TV production, the, everything. Um, he he lived, he ate, and breathed WCW or not WCW, ECW. <laughs> God, I'm sorry. Not. Yeah, <laughs> that that would have been a heel Yeah. But no, I mean Tommy Dreamer, like like I said, his, his his feuds with Raven, you know, his feuds with the Dudley Boys, his feud, just you know, of course, everything with Beulah McGillicuddy, who would go on to become his real life wife. 
you know, Shane Douglas, all, he was just, he was ECW through and through. If anybody was, you know, just the, the fate, like not, not like the, the fan face of that company, but really the deep inside blood, sweat, tears, soul of that company was Tommy Dreamer. And yeah, I, I always thought that, you know, I, I understand Rhino was the last official ECW champion before it went out of business. And I understand that, you know, they, they didn't really know when they were going to cut it loose, but I always thought that if anybody deserved to be the last official ECW champion, the guy to, you know, get the belt and then, you know, kind of turn the lights out as, as the door was closing, it should have been Tommy dreamer because he deserved it. You know, he, he was a better, you know, chaser than a champion of course, but I think to cap off the ECW story, it would have been better for Tommy Dreamer to finally get the belt as like some kind of closure to that company. So, yeah, Tommy Dreamer, my number five. Yeah, I just want to tack on to that. Almost to me in thinking about it and, and you remembering all the great matches and almost what he did for the company, it's almost like somebody – coming out of the audience and becoming a superstar because he, you know, he wore the gear and, and he was just every part of that company. So that the, he was just, he was just the uh, kind of dusty roads, you know, dusty roads with the common man gimmick. That's, that's kind yeah. of how I see Tommy dreamer. Well, remember he was like, he was the guy, the white me baby face with the hammer pants and suspenders, you know, and then, mm-hmm. you know, the Sandman beat the shit out of him with the kendo stick. And that's what got him over. That's 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 yeah. when the innovator of violence was born. So yeah, yeah. For for me, I take uh, my number five is I take Tommy Dreamer's big that you mentioned earlier, and that's Raven. Nice. Um, for me, Raven, like like Adam said, the the Jake Roberts of promos. Raven can talk, and you would just sit there and listen. And it was just amazing to hear the man talk. He would just sit there. The ECW promos, remember when they would show him during the shows at like 2, 3 in the morning when you would actually show him here in Chicago. But he would just sit in like a darkly lit room and all you could see is like half of his face hair covering it. And, and he would throw the, this amazing mind-boggling perform- like promo. Like the dude could just talk. He was probably one of the best talkers. But um. He was a perfect heel. The man never wanted to turn face. He was just a perfect heel. Uh, that feud that he had with Dreamer, like you said, it went on forever, but it was a great feud because Tommy Dreamer was a chaser. Raven was the one that always win, but they would always have something different in the feud about. Uh, and then he left. And then remember, he comes back and he helps Dreamer win the tag team titles against the Dudleys when it was a Dudley boy's time to go out. And, and he was still a heel because then after that, he broke Tommy Dreamer. Um, but it's just Raven was awesome that the feud he had with the Sandman, where Adam mentioned earlier the uh, the crucifixion angle, over Kurt Angle got mad and left. I, I know they had the, they made him come out and apologize, and he came out and did like a half ass <laughs> apology because he stayed in character. Um, but he was time champ, and he was just it, it was it was always fun to watch Raven. I, I loved watching Raven, so he's my number five. Great, couldn't agree more. Um, someone else speaking of fun to watch. My number five is is Sabu. Um, he is uh, an, another one that just uh, if, when I think of Sabu, I think of 
of someone who is kind of the embodiment of ECW style because he he kind of had it all. I mean, he did the the barbed wire, he jumped through tables, but then he had a sense of athleticism too. He he could also wrestle and and do crazy moves. You know, I I could see why him and Cactus Jack would get along. I mean, they they just had no regard for for their bodies. They were just there to entertain the audience and and give the people as good of a match as as possible. He set the tone with the, the, I would call his style athletic and violent at the same time. All his matches were just bloody and brutal, but, but they were just so much fun to to watch. Um, Probably his best feud that I can recall is just him and Taz just had a a longstanding feud and, and it was just two badasses just, beating the crap out of each other. I mean, that's, that's what wrestling should be. It's just, you know, pure entertainment and, and, and two big guys, uh, you know, just tough guys, just, just going at it. Uh, so uh, the only reason I think Sabu isn't a little higher on my list is because he would come and go from the company a lot. But, but uh, other than that, I got mm-hmm. nothing bad to say about the guy. He was tremendous talent and, one of the cornerstones of ECW. Like when, when you say those, those letters, uh, that's one of the first three that usually come to mind. So Sabu is number five. Very nice. Very nice. Well, we are now into our final four gentlemen. And uh, my number four is the franchise Shane Douglas, you know, Shane Douglas, of course, being the first ECW champion and the guy that, you know, Paul Heyman wanted to build the company around <laughs> another guy who was a journeyman who had been in the other federations did not know how to be utilized and ultimately went to ECW to find his voice. If you remember, he was in WCW. He was one of what the, was it? The dynamic dudes with, uh, yeah. with, Johnny uh, Johnny Ace. Ace. you know, mm-hmm. it was, he went from that crap and then he goes to WWF and he's Dean Douglas, you know, and I think that was, he went, he went to WWF like in the middle there, didn't he? He, he was in the ECW left for a little bit and then he came back to ECW. You Correct. Know, yeah. And when he went to WWF, they gave him the Dean Douglas character, you know, the school teacher gimmick that totally sucked. And, he was like, you know what, forget it. I'm just going to go to East, back to ECW where they actually treat me seriously. And that's what he was. He was the franchise. Shane Douglas. He was the, the guy who ran the place. He was the top heel. He was, you know, the foil to guys like Sabu and Taz. You know, he was the guy who was, he was the, the mega heel champ who everybody wanted to see his, him get his ass kicked. He was that for he was I would I would say he was like what Roddy Piper was to WWF in the in like that in the mid to early eighties. Shane Douglas was the ECW in those days. He was the loudmouth heel who you wanted, you know, you wanted your guy to just beat the shit out of him, and that's Shane Douglas knew how to be that. He played it to to um, to perfection, and you know he was the leader of the triple threat. He, you know, he was great as a com. You know, he would work commentary when he was hurt, which was a lot. 
you know, and he was great. At, he was great at working commentary. He was a jack of all trades. He was, and he was a guy who got eyes to the ECW product. So yeah, yeah, Shane Douglas, my number four. That's a good number four. And I actually remember when he he left WWE, he he brought the Dean Douglas character back with him for a short yeah. amount of time, and then in the yeah. middle of it, he broke character and he's just like, "Screw this!" <laughs> you know, so that, was, <laughs> that was pretty fun. Um, but but like you franchise being your number four for me my number four is what you mentioned earlier the uh the heart and soul of ecw and that's tommy dreamer um at a well where it's like tommy dreamer was just that every man that uh looked like just some regular fan in the crowd i mean tommy dreamer would hang out with the crowd tommy dream was everything that is ecw he would you know we, we would see the the videos of the documentaries where he, he would his basement and like do the phone calls and uh, run the website and do everything like that. That was Tommy dreamer. He was, you know, uh, behind the scenes. He was uh, one of the wrestlers and he never wanted to be that main talent guy. He never wanted to be the, the big star. And he never wanted the, the, the title belt that the feud he had with the feud he had with the Sandman. Those were all amazing feuds, but Tommy dreamer, which is always one of those main guys that was out there. And he, he was just always fun to watch. Um, he would get his ass kicked most of the time. Remember, he he actually was the guy that they chose to do the feud with, with Van Damme and Sabu, the uh, invasion angle. When Jerry Lawler came out, he came after Tommy Dreamer. Um, so it's just like, he was just the one of the faces of ECW. And to me, he was always a lot of fun to watch. And I was always a big Tommy Dreamer fan. So for me, he's my, he's my number four. Very nice, very nice. Actually, actually, uh, quick fact: I know Adam was doing research earlier. I did research on Tommy Dreamer. Tommy Dreamer was the first man to ever kick out of this WWE Legends finisher. The WWE finisher. Yeah, this this guy was uh, in ECW beginning. Towards the beginning, I think he was actually one of their first champs. But Tommy Dreamer kicked out of his finisher, the first man to ever do it. Hmm. Wow, that's a good question. I'm stumped. Good old Superfly Jimmy Snuka. Oh, really? Super... Yeah, first man to ever do it was Tommy Dreamer. He 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 uh he kicked out of the Superfly Splash, huh? Yeah. Yep. 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 Yep research and I was like wow I gotta throw this in there so there's my nugget nice yeah, that's, right, uh, that, that's a great nugget and I'm just gonna add if uh, uh, anyone's seen the series Dark Side of the Ring the Jimmy Snooker one was very disturbing um, yes, it was. anyway uh, number four for me is, uh, is another one uh, who's uh, you guys have talked about him, a heart and soul of ECW guy, one of their most well-known uh, uh, wrestlers, and and as Bob mentioned, the record uh, record for the number of times he held the championship, five-time champion, uh, the Sandman's my number four. Um, you know, when one thing about the Sandman I love more than anything, um, you know, you think of great wrestling entrances, you know, you think of the Undertaker or the Ultimate Warrior running the ring, but to me, I just think of 
that whole experience of of it's like for a minute you're not at a wrestling show you're at a rock concert when the sandman mm-hmm. comes out because the metallic is blaring and he's drinking beer and he's smoking a cigarette and every person in the arena is singing that song every person i i think even if you did if you weren't familiar with the song going into the arena you, you somehow by osmosis you knew how to sing under salmon it was just <laughs> it was just such a great experience to to participate in that that's my favorite wrestling entrance of all time um i mean as you guys mentioned not much of a of a worker uh, again tony said that he was a construction worker before he wrestled in ECW and he, he certainly, uh, he, he doesn't look like a wrestler, but I mean, uh, another word that I associate with ECW is counterculture and, and Sandman was counterculture because again, as I mentioned, you had cowboys and, and clowns and, and then the Shockmaster running around WCW and WWF at that time. And the Sandman, you know, was smoking cigarettes and drinking beer. Nobody did that. I mean, uh, everybody loves Austin and his beer bashes, but uh, I'm sorry when he started the beer bashes, I'm like, oh, he's kind of ripping the Sandman off here. Cause that, you know, wrestling was still cartoony when he came around and, and it just, uh, it, it, it reflected in the name of the league, ECW. It was, it was an extreme thing at the time, So he was groundbreaking with, with the character. And uh, again, just a lot of violent, bloody matches and, you know, he was he was a part of a lot of the best of those types of matches in ECW. And again, when I think of ECW, that's another one of the one of the faces that pops up first is is the Sandman. Big fan number four for me. I mean, you can see what they were doing back then with the, obviously the they would rip off the music and they would play it and and enter Sandman being that one, but like. They, there was something that was never done before. You you would hear that music and the crowd would sing along. And now that stuff that you see now in NXT, when like a perfect example is when Nakamura would come out and you'd hear them all singing along to his music. It's like that was being done back in ECW 20, 30 yeah. years ago. It's just like, okay, you know, like people are like, oh, NXT is the best. No, we've seen this before, you know. <laughs> but yeah. That's what ECW was, you know, it was groundbreaking at that time because you were never really used to it. You weren't accustomed to that. And it's just like, wow, you know, like I see the TLC matches when the Hardys and the Dudley, like that all came from ECW stuff that we, I was so used to seeing it there that you're like, oh, okay, I've seen this before, you know, but the ECW is so groundbreaking and so many of the things that they did. And that was one of them that Adam mentioned with the singing along of the music. Yeah. And just the fact that they used, uh, the, songs too that you heard on the radio too that that was that was counter culture too i mean because wwf had their own theme music and wcw had even had much more inferior music written by michael hayes or whoever wrote them <laughs> so jimmy Hart. i mean i know he wrote a few of them although the the, the dustin Rhodes theme song he, he, i'm sorry that's that's a great that's a great little ditty <laughs> I was a, but, yeah. a surfer sting theme song kind of guy. Oh, that's a good one too. Yeah. I miss oh, the old sting. Show. Yeah. Surfer sting. Yeah. I, I, I miss I that. Miss. I wish he'd bring it back for, for one more match. All right, guys. Well, I hear Gary Michael Capetta in the background <laughs> because <laughs> we have. I forgot to say, with Anchor, they give us like a two-hour limit for our recording, and we're at an hour and 48 minutes. We got 12 minutes left 
to get through our top threes. So we're going to have to kind of do this a little bit quickly. Uh, I'll keep going. You know, I have, I have what I believe to be the Holy Trinity of ECW left. And I'll start with number three. And that is the suicidal, homicidal, genocidal maniac that they call Sabu. Like Adam said before, Sabu, yes, he was hardcore. Yes, he was violent, but he could also wrestle. He was also high flying. He could give you a great match. And he gave you, he gave ECW some of the most memorable moments that they've ever had, you know, from everything from Chris Benoit breaking his neck to, you know, being cut, have to being physically cut away from Terry Funk after their barbed wire match, you know, to the match he had with Taz for the championship. You know, it, it was, there was one match. I remember he dislocated his or broke his jaw during the match mm-hmm. and he taped his friggin' jaw shut with wrestling with like wrist tape so he can continue mm-hmm. with the match. The guy was insane. Um, and he, you know, that was ECW in a nutshell. So yeah, number three is Sabu. Yeah. And I think, uh, I think we're, we're pretty much going to have the same Holy Trinity. Like you mentioned And for me is my number three is also the man from Bombay, Michigan. Um, Sabu. <laughs> <laughs> That's after a while they started calling him from Bombay, Michigan. Um, like you mentioned too, the, the guy was just amazing. The the barbed wire matches with Terry Funk where he it tore his tricep and he just taped up his his arm after that. Like during yeah. the match, he just taped it up and kept wrestling. Uh, you mentioned Benoit breaking his neck, but Taz also broke his neck, and uh, the dude just kept wrestling because he, he was just amazing to watch when he would do the Arabian face buster and and the uh like just the stuff he would do with the chairs and like he'd springboard off the rope off of a chair and it was just like. Sabu was just so much fun to watch. One of my favorite things about him is the dude never talked. Like, you could never hear a Sabu promo because he was just always quiet, but it was always so much fun to watch him because you knew what to expect from a Sabu match. And that was just 100% enjoyment every single time from Sabu. And for me, my number three, the last ever FTW champ, Sabu. Nice. How about you, Adam? And I'll add that uh, Sabu is the second Triple Crown uh, winner in the history of ECW. Uh, and moving on to number three, he's been mentioned. Uh, uh, and I, I think he has to be number three because he kind of started the whole thing. Uh, that would be the franchise Shane Douglas. Again, a lot's been covered, but just that promo he gave uh, that started the whole revolution, that that. that change the course because as uh, Bob alluded to they had guys like Jimmy Snuka running around in the beginning and it was more traditional wrestling um, I mean cursing on the mic that was something nobody did back then uh, you know with the cut the fucking music you know the just great stuff um, and again uh, just a guy who was a, a, a mid Carter for life until he, he was allowed to shine and and be himself. I mean, I, it's a cliche by now, but that's that's ECW. Just be yourself and and put your best foot forward, and it's gonna get over. So, franchise is my number three. All right, all right. We'll we'll jump right into number two because we got we're running against it. Number two, um, beat him if you can, survive if he lets you. It's Taz I have in number two. You know, the FTW champion, you know, the human suplex machine. Guy was incredibly stiff in the ring. He, hell of a promo. You know, he 
he was kind of their undertaker in the sense that he never sold anything, you know, in the <laughs> ring, you know. He was like, you know, about a third of the Undertaker size, but he still didn't sell anything. Um, yeah, Taz was just, he was a badass. You know, he was he was a judo champion. He was a submission guy. You know, he had those, he, he, he was convinced, he was like a pit bull. He was a pit, like a tenacious pit bull that you wanted to see him just suplex guys in every single way possible you know just upending them ass over you know head over feet whatever yeah taz he was yeah i marked out for taz almost as much as much as i marked out for tajiri i was a pretty big taz mark and um when he left i was very sad when he came back and beat mike awesome for the championship again i was very happy (laughs) um you know taz I think doesn't get his due as an in-ring performer because his his announcing, I think, is kind of overshadowed what he used to do in the ring. Yeah, Taz was a badass. Taz is my number two. And and great minds think alike, and that Taz is my number two. Taz, I, I think I, I beat you in the Taz mark because I was a ginormous Taz fan. Um, just stiff in the ring. The Kata Hajime finisher, the human suplex machine with all the different suplexes the man could do. Uh, he could cut a promo. He would come out like just in the land of giants that was the WCW and the WWE. You got this dude that's five foot nine, but you would believe in him that he would beat your ass. Come out with the towel over his head and just the the kiss music blasting, and it's just like Taz was the man. Taz was just so much fun to watch, and and um. Like I said, I, I was just a giant Taz fan, and um, the the feud he had with Sabu, where like they would just they couldn't even touch each other. Wait till that barely legal pay per view when they could finally wrestle. Yeah, it was just drawn storyline perfect to the T, amazing, and that was Taz. <laughs> All, All right, right Adam, I'd you're like, number two. I'd like to make it a clean sweep, but I'm not going to. Uh, I have a different number two. Um, this, this, I went back and forth on one and two, but ultimately I went with someone who never won the world title, but held the TV title for nearly an impeccable two years. And that's Rob Van Dam. Uh, the man vacated the title, never lost the, the belt in the ring. He had an injury and he had to forfeit the title. Um, he almost always closed the show. If you went to a house show or a pay-per-view, uh, uh, if not the most over, uh, top two with my number one, I would say in terms of being over with the fans. Uh, I mean, just a style like no other, uh, he stayed loyal to the end, even though Paul Heyman owed him hundreds of thousands of dollars. I mean, he was always about the fans, uh, always about being the whole effing show. Uh, again, I, I have, uh, his style was so unique that uh, I, I can't compare too many other people to it. Um, he was a tremendous talent. Uh, I met him at a signing and uh, when he first joined WWE and, and I told him about, uh, you know, how great his matches with Jerry Lynn were. And you should have seen how his face lit up that he was, he was ECW for life too, despite the behind the scenes with the money. I think he was heartbroken when the promotion closed. He's like, Oh, thanks for saying that. And he was, you could tell his eyes just lit up. Um, 
RVD was just a great talent. And, and again, uh, I was possibly the most over wrestler in the history of the company. He's my number two. All right. Well, I'm going to piggyback off of you uh, just for limited time sake because we only have about two and a half minutes left here. <laughs> uh, no, we have about three minutes left. We have about three minutes left. Yeah. Number one, RVD, Rob Van Dam, the whole fucking show. I can't really say anything else on top of that. He was the face of the company and my number one. How about you, Bob? I'm going to piggyback with you too. Rob Van Dam was my number one. Uh, Rob Van Dam was so much fun to watch. The Van Terminator, the Van Daminator, everything that they would do, the rolling thunder, the moves he would do. It was just amazing. Um, and just a quick story is I was at the first ever ECW show at the Odium. Three dudes were about to start a fight, and they all stopped, and they said, you're lucky we're not going to fight you right now because Rob Van Dam still hasn't come out, and I want to watch that match. So Rob Van Dam, without even knowing, broke up a fight because he hadn't wrestled yet, and that's just how amazing he was. <laughs> Nice. All right, Adam. Gotta, awesome. We got to do it quick. We got to do it quick. I'm sorry, but what's your number one? All right, number one for me is is Taz. Uh, just the embodiment of ECW, as as mentioned. Just the short, pudgy looking guy, but what a badass. Uh, Paul made him into a star. He looked like a shoot fighter. Uh, he was just a great representative for the company. Just a great face as a champion. He just looked unbeatable. I love this style, you know, MMA, wrestling, all, the, uh, you know, as you mentioned, judo, just all the martial arts. He, he just had all the tools and he looked like a champion and, and uh, just an, an amazing talent and an amazing presence in the ring. Uh, Daz is number one for me. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we're at the two minute warning and we're going to use that to say thank you to everybody who listened tonight. I hope you enjoyed our ECW top 20 lists. I want to thank Adam for joining us. Thank you so much, Adam. I hope you had fun. I had a, I had a blast. Yes, it was great to reliving so many great memories of one of the best promotions ever. Damn straight. And I, I hope you had fun tonight too, Bob. Especially with Adam aboard. It was definitely a great time. All right. It's well, a pleasure to, pleasure to do it. Pleasure to have you, Adam and Bob. Also, you know, we'll be back next week. Um, yeah, with another great list. And I uh, hope you guys uh, hope you guys tune in next week. So for for the Warsaw Blonde, Adam, Adam Kalavik, and for Dr. Bob Lopez, I'm Tony Lopez. And we'll see you guys later. Bye bye.